Welcome to this week's edition of the St. Paul Podcast. I'm Peter Marty, Senior Pastor of St. Paul Lutheran Church, located in the heart of Davenport, Iowa. Right here each week, you can hear a message to inspire your walk with God and hear beautiful music to fill your life. Let this podcast be your occasion to contemplate some of the deepest things in life, just as I hope it helps faith come alive for you. This is Pastor Mac, and I am so grateful to be sharing in God's Word with you today. The 18th chapter of Matthew's Gospel is filled with memorable one-liners from Jesus. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Matthew packs in so many memorable lessons and sayings from Jesus in just this one chapter, and the major theme among them seems to be forgiveness. If you Google major Christian values, you might be surprised, as I was, that forgiveness doesn't usually make the list. In fairness, Christianity isn't the only religion that's concerned with forgiveness, but given how often this topic appears throughout the New Testament, you'd think the internet might notice it more. Like any good parent or older sibling, Jesus wants to teach us, God's children, that forgiveness is an important value to God. B. 
because, just like any other siblings, we often get into fights and conflicts with each other. Jesus gives us an outline for conflict resolution for when that inevitably happens. Talk to your sibling first. If they won't listen, bring in a third. If that doesn't work, bring together the community. And if even that doesn't do the trick, treat them like anyone else, with love and compassion. I wonder if someone really upset Peter because this lesson from Jesus doesn't seem to satisfy him. How often should I forgive Jesus? As many as seven times? Another quotable question. Jesus responds to Peter by describing the overwhelming mercy God gives to God's children through forgiveness. The only rule in God's playbook is abundant love. Listen to this story from Jesus about how God doesn't count what is owed, but rather hands out mercy and grace. From Matthew 18, verses 21 through 35. Peter came and said to Jesus, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you seventy-seven times. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one slave who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. And as the slave could not pay, the king ordered him to be sold, together with the slave's wife and children, and all his possessions and payment to be made. So the slave fell on his knees before the king, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the king of that slave released him and forgave him the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. Then his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the slave refused. Then the first slave went and threw the second into prison until he could pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their king all that had taken place. Then the king summoned him and said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his king handed the slave over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And now, let's hear some thoughts on how forgiveness shows up in our lives. Is it enough to simply say, I'm sorry? That question's been bothering me this past week. As I've read the news and I've sat in many meetings, led small groups, run around with seventh graders, this today's gospel has been sitting in my thoughts. This question has been itching at the back of my brain. Is sorry enough? When you teach your kids to take responsibility for their actions, you teach them to say, I'm sorry. When you're a little late to dinner or running a bit behind to a meeting, a simple I'm so sorry usually is more than enough to suffice. But is it enough when we owe something to someone 
like favors or money, as in today's parable? Is sorry enough when we've deeply wounded someone we love? What about someone we don't even know? For all those times we've said, I'm sorry, in our lives, the outcome of that apology is dependent on the person receiving it. And if that's true, then I ask the question again, is I'm sorry enough? Are words enough? Dr. Pumala Gabodo Madikizela wanted to know the answer to this. She's a South African clinical psychologist, professor, and an all-around incredible human being. At the end of the apartheid regime in South Africa, Pumala served as a member of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. The perpetrators of apartheid were given their day in court, but the Truth Commission was for the victims, the wives without husbands, brothers without sisters, twins missing their other half. They were given a public voice through the commission. It was there that they could share their wounds and their traumas and be seen by their country who had for so long pretended they didn't exist. In her memoir, A Human Being Died That Night, Pumala recounts the dread and nervousness she felt interviewing one particular witness for the Truth Commission. For years, the enemies of apartheid and its state had held, were held behind the bars of the Pretoria Central Prison. And now, Pumala was there to interview apartheid's most violent agent. Eugene de Kock had been the head of the apartheid government's secret police force. Just like the Gestapo in Nazi Germany, de Kock was given license to deal with anyone challenging racial apartheid in any way he deemed fit. And so often those ways involved bullets, mass executions, and explosives. By the end of the apartheid regime, de Kock had earned the nickname Prime Evil. As she interviewed de Kock over days, Pumala became increasingly troubled by any notion that de Kock might be forgiven by herself or by anyone else. De Kock spent hours vividly describing his role in leading the secret police, all the carnage he personally oversaw. But he also laid bare the emotional, psychological, and moral strain that was now placed on his psyche. As he recounted more and more of his deeds, Pumala pushed him and against his own justifications for his actions and his involvement. The more she pushed, the more de Kock was forced to come to face with his own evil. The major turning point in these interviews came when Pumala asked about de Kock's meeting with the widows of his victims. In one particular meeting, one of these widows chose to forgive de Kock unconditionally in the hope that her own act of forgiveness might stir a change in his heart. As he pondered this encounter, de Kock's conscience began to buckle. Under the weight of justifications he had built up over so many years, he could no longer ignore 
the emotional scars and traumas his own actions had caused to his humanity. Here he was, being offered forgiveness by someone who had every reason to reject him. And so his soul struggled to comprehend the way his heart was pressing on his mind. As Pumala watched Dukak, strained to find words, shifting restlessly in his chair, uncomfortable with this conscious acknowledgement of guilt, she instinctively reached out her hand to touch his in an act of comfort. And it was this act, this moment of human-to-human contact and connection that surprised Pumala. She could not understand why she would make such a gesture. Here she was, sitting with a mass murderer, a living symbol of the oppression she, as a black South African, had suffered her entire life, and in the moment of his deep reckoning, she reached out to him. Did Decock deserve such an intimate gesture of kindness? Why, why would she reach out? In today's gospel, the same prevalent question about what might be owed for forgiveness when something is done wrong is asked by Peter. How many times must a person forgive, he asks Jesus. Peter wants to know the cheat sheet, the shortcut, the cutoff point for how many times we ought to forgive. Jesus rejects this question as totally ridiculous. And he uses two ridiculous numbers to make his point. 77 times and 10,000 talents. In the ancient world, 10,000 was the largest numerical unit and a talent was the largest amount of money. So today, 10,000 talents would be equal in the billions with a B. It's a ridiculously large amount of money. And this is Jesus' point. The king who forgives such an extraordinarily large debt is not a king who forgives out of any sense of justice, but one who forgives out of a sense of mercy. Jesus rejects quantification because God rejects quantification. God's forgiveness is always mercy. And we can learn from this. We humans owe God a ridiculous debt, literally everything, our lives, our well-being, our Hawkeye season tickets, our repentance. It is a massive, ridiculous debt. We have absolutely no way of paying back on our own, and yet God forgives us. Over and over again, God forgives us not on a quid pro quo basis. There's no condition to this forgiveness. It's not a matter of justice for God. God forgives us out of an abundance of his own mercy. This is why Jesus is so insistent that we offer forgiveness. This isn't a prescription. This isn't some new law. Jesus is calling us to share what God is already providing for us abundant mercy, so that we might have abundant life. When we think of forgiveness in terms of justice, we start to act like that wicked slave. 
His ridiculous debt was forgiven, but he couldn't forgive his fellow slave, a much smaller and much more reasonable debt. Because the king had everything to offer to him, but his fellow slave meant nothing. If forgiveness is boiled down to only an exchange of favor for favor, a release from things that are owed, then we restrict our view of life to a very narrow view of transactions. We begin to see others by the value of what they can give to us or do for us. If, however, we view and live out God's abundant mercy and forgiveness as a gift given to us and not as an IOU or a transaction, we react to the hurt in our lives differently. When a friend betrays our trust, a significant other cheats on us, if something precious is taken from our lives, forgiveness will not erase the harm that has been done, but forgiveness that springs from an abundance of mercy will free us. It frees us from the weight of the guilt that presses in on us. It frees us from relationships that are transactional. Forgiveness rarely dismisses or ignores our pain, but instead says that this pain, this sorrow, this distrust does not have to be the ruler of our hearts. Imagine for a moment a community school coming to terms with a student taking their own life. An event like this leaves a wound on a community. Friends, teachers, coaches, and especially the family. Their grief is fresh, and it comes to them unexpectedly. They live through the weeks ahead of them, new days without someone they deeply loved. But I also imagine they will discover that this very abundant mercy that God pours out will appear in their lives. In the midst of the confusion and the grief that comes with a suicide, every moment of human contact itself becomes a moment of divine mercy. Words are simply not enough. Something about touch, however small, does bring about God's abundant mercy and love when we're at our most vulnerable. If this young person could ever say to everyone who loved them, I'm sorry, a thousand times over, would it satisfy? We know it wouldn't. But God heals anyways. Even when our words can't heal those wounds. And God does so through the very mercy that we show one another. We show mercy by being physically present in each other's loneliness. We show mercy by comforting and supporting one another in our sadness. We show mercy by coming together as a community, whether a school, a group of friends, a family, a church, and knowing that each person we meet is worthy of mercy. Mercy comes by showing up. And even if we can't come together for one reason or another, God will still pour out God's love and mercy anyways in order that it might heal our hearts and heal the world. I'm convinced 
that this abundance of mercy that we've been gifted is something we cannot help but give away. That's what I see when Pumala reached out her hand and touched a mass murderer. Despite his evil, despite the racial hatred and oppression he represented and committed, in his moment of pain and guilt and sorrow, her humanity reached out to touch his humanity. And a reminder that even he is worthy of mercy. Pumala's mercy, God's mercy, couldn't help but stick out its hand. To answer my question, no, I don't think I'm sorry is always enough. But even when it isn't, mercy still happens. If words could solve every issue, well then what a colorless and lonely life we would all live. But thankfully, abundance steps in where words are lacking. Amen.
Let's now turn to God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. I hope in the coming days you too are filled with God's abundant mercy and love, and that you find an opportunity to share that with the people you encounter this week. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast, and thanks for your support of the ministries of St. Paul Lutheran Church. Our commitment to projects that lend hope to other people stretches across the country and around the world. We hope that in a good way you feel a part of that reach. Tune in next Thursday for another edition of the St. Paul Podcast.